from the heart of the capital city and across our great state, from our home to your home. Welcome to First Baptist Church of Columbia, South Carolina. Come, worship with us. Join Dr. Wendell Estep as he brings the Word of God and shares the life-changing message of the Lord Jesus with you and your family. and praise the Lord this morning. So reading together and aloud. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion.
Our Father, we come today in the name of Jesus and pray, Lord, that you might prepare our hearts to worship you, to lift up his name. I pray, Father, that you will be exalted in all that is done. May our focus be upon you. Minister to our needs. Encourage those who need encouragement. And I pray, Lord, that you will bring conviction of sin in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here today. And uh, this is always a special Sunday for us. It is a time when we recognize our special ed ministry. Some of the sweetest people in the world are these that are right down here today. And uh, we are so proud of you and thankful for you. Aren't we, church? They're going to participate in the service in just a little bit. We also have a wedding anniversary to announce, Don and Mary June Ward. Don, why don't you stand so people can see you? And Mary June could not be here, so everybody wave to her. 58 years. Now then, let's take this opportunity to greet those around us. Let's stand to do so at this time. Well, we're glad you joined us here at First Baptist Church in Columbia today. This week, coming up July the 12th through the 16th, is Vacation Bible School. And this is always a great time. It's from 9 a.m. in the morning until 12 noon. And it's for four years old through rising fifth graders. So we would love to invite uh, you to come. If you know of children who can come and be a part, we would love for them to come to our Vacation Bible School. That's this week, July the 12th through the 16th. Well, once again, we thank you for being with us today. We really do. We trust now that the Lord will bless and touch your heart in a wonderful way as we continue to worship together. Everyone may be seated. I think we're all up here. I told them earlier I was going to introduce them as a group here from Hollywood, California. All right, we're going to hear from our special ed bells now.
Good job. Good job, everybody. Thank you. Wasn't that wonderful? What a wonderful ministry this is. A wonderful ministry. And as the pastor said, we just appreciate all those who help and work with our special ed ministry. It just makes me think of this hymn as I'm sitting there watching them play. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Let's stand as we sing together. teacher. Amen. In the midst of my confusion, in the time of desperate need, when I am thinking not too clearly, a gentle voice does intercede. Slow down, slow down, be Spirit of 
time of tribulation when I'm feeling so unsure when things are pressing in about me comes a gentle voice so still so
Well, today we continue our series from the Old Testament, and we have come to the book of Job. We do not know who wrote the book of Job, though there are various opinions. There are some who believe that Moses was the author of this book. One commentator wrote, it is the opinion of many of the ancients that this history was written by Moses himself in Midian and delivered to his suffering brethren in Egypt for their support and comfort under their burdens and the encouragement of their hope that God would in due time deliver and enrich them as he did this patient sufferer. So there are those who believe that Moses was the author of the book of Job and that he sent it to the Hebrews when they were in Egyptian slavery as a, as a way of encouraging them. There are others who think that Solomon might have been the author of this book. Matthew Henry believes that Elihu, who was one of the friends of Job, might have been the author. And, of course, it could have been Job himself who wrote the book. We do not know who the author is, nor do we know the time of this writing. It is believed by most Bible scholars that this probably is the oldest book in the Bible. It is instructive in that it teaches about Gentile piety. You see, Job was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. So this book then is about a Gentile. Matthew Henry wrote, This great saint descended probably not from Abraham, but Nahor. Or, if from Abraham, not from Isaac, but from one of the sons of the concubines that were sent into the east country, or if from Isaac, yet not from Jacob, but Esau, so that he was out of the pale of the covenant of peculiarity, no Israelite, no proselyte. So as we look at the book, understand this is not a story about a Jew. It is a story about a Gentile. Also, it teaches us or reminds us about the sovereignty of God. That God is involved in the lives of people during good times and during bad times. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Job chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it came about when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, that Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning, and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? 
Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he has. He will surely curse thee to thy face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now look at verse 22, because in the verses that follow, we read about the suffering of Job. And then in verse 22, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. I want to use verse number 22 as our outline for the message today, because it begins by saying, through all this. And, of course, that is a reference to the suffering, to the trial, to the troubles of Job through all this. In fact, his name alludes to his suffering. Albert Barnes wrote, The name Job means properly one persecuted from a root meaning to be an enemy to anyone to persecute to hate. So his name then alludes to the persecution, to the suffering which he endured. Now then, having that in mind, we see his character described in verse number 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. So the Bible says then that Job was a blameless man. That does not mean that he was sinless. It does not mean that he was perfect. In fact, Albert Barnes wrote, The idea seems to be that his piety or moral character was proportionate and complete in all its parts. He was a man of integrity in all the relations of life. In other words, when the Bible says that he was blameless, it means that he was a mature person. Jerome translates that word as being sincere, that he was a sincere person. The Chaldee translates it as being complete, finished. So the Bible says that he was blameless, meaning that, that he was a mature person. And then it says that he was upright. Albert Barnes wrote, The word is applied often to a road which is straight or to a path which is level or even. So the Scripture says that he was upright. He was straight. Pruitt and I were talking once, and I said, Pruitt, you need someone that you can be honest with. Pruitt's my grandson, that you can be honest with. I said, so we're going to shoot straight with each other. He said, well, what does that mean? And I said, well, maybe that's a Texas expression. I don't know. But what it means where I grew up is that we are going to be honest. We are not going to parse words. We are going to say what's on our mind. Well, that's what that word means concerning Job. He was upright. 
He was not a guy who, who uh, he would never have made it in our politically correct world because he was straight and he shot straight in his talking. So the scripture says that he was blameless. It says that he was upright, fearing God. Now, that phrase is used throughout Scripture to speak about a person of God. In fact, in Proverbs 1, 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So, as we look at Job then, he was a man who was, he was blameless, he was upright, he feared God, and the Bible says that he turned away from evil. Now, that was his character. That is the way that he is described in the Scripture, but having that kind of character did not exempt him from suffering. As you look at the story of Job, he goes from good to bad to worse. There was the attack of the Sabaeans in verse number 13. Now, it happened on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. A messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword. So Job was a wealthy man. And the scripture says that the Sabaeans came, attacked, and they robbed him. They took his possessions. And then look at verse number 16. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So the Scripture says that while the first person was giving the bad news, the second came. While he was still speaking, Albert Barnes says, indicates the rapidity of the movement of Satan and his desire to overwhelm Job with suddenness and greatness of his calamities. The object seems to have been to give him no time to recover from the shock of one form or trial before another came upon him. Satan is attacking him. So the Bible says that Bad news was being delivered before it was delivered. Then more bad news came. Satan is throwing everything at him. In verse number 17, there's the attack of the Chaldeans. In verses 18 and 19, there's a great wind that occurred. And in chapter 2, verse 7, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So, when we look at Job, we see that he was attacked. The attacks were swift, they were painful, both physically and also emotionally. So, what I want you to understand here is here was a man, the Bible says, was blameless, he was upright, he turned away from evil, he feared God, and yet the Scripture says that he also underwent suffering. Now, that always raises questions, does it not? It also brings about confusion. Especially when it was a good person. And by human standards, we would say that Job was a good person. In fact, the Scripture says he was truthful. In Job 27, 4, he said, My lips certainly will not speak unjustly, nor will my tongue mutter deceit. So here's a man who was truthful. The Bible says that he also was morally pure. In Job 31.1, he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Parenthetically, let me say this to you, especially young people. That verse of Scripture is a verse of Scripture that I use with my children, that I told my children. The reason for that is because Job made a decision about what he was going to do before he was in the position of temptation. That's good advice, young people. 
Decide how you're going to respond before you get in a position of temptation. Before you get in a position of, of, of a sexual compromise, decide already how you're going to respond. You should already have decided how you're going to respond if someone offers you drugs. See, that, that's what it says about Job. Job had already decided, he had already made a covenant concerning his response to a virgin. That is good word for you because I was looking at some statistics. It says every day in America, 1,295 unmarried teenage girls give birth to babies and 1,106 have abortions. That is every day. Don't wait until you are in the heat of the moment to decide what you're going to do. Make the decision before you get there. That is what he did, therefore he was morally pure. And then the Bible says that he loved his enemies. He said, have I rejoiced at the extinction of my enemy or exalted when evil befell him? No, I've not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life in a curse. Truth is... um, I don't know that it's most of us, but a lot of us, we sort of enjoy seeing our enemies suffer, don't we? I'm not buying that spiritual look at me at all. We really do. We enjoy seeing them get what they deserve. But that wasn't Job. The Bible says that he loved his enemies. He was hospitable. The Scripture says, The alien has not lodged outside, for I have opened my doors to the traveler. All right, now, if here's a good man. This is the thing. Here is a good man. He was hospitable. He was truthful. He was all these things. He was blameless. He was upright. All of these things. Then why did he suffer? Well, Eliphaz had a comment on that. That was one of his friends in Job 4.7. He said, Whoever perished being innocent... Or where were the upright destroyed? He said, Job, innocent people don't suffer. And then Bildad was in agreement with Eliphaz in Job 8, 20 and 21. He said, Lo, God will not reject the man of integrity, nor will he support the evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. Bildad, Dad said the same thing. Whenever they are comforting Job, they said the same thing. Don't worry, because... Innocent people don't suffer. We still have some of that theology, do we not? And it is always surprising to us, it's unsettling to us when we see a good person suffering. That ought not happen. I mean, we understand when a bad person suffers, but, but not a, a, a good person See, I believe that is the primary reason this book was written. I think that it was to refute that theology. Because in Old Testament times, it was believed that if you were a person of God, that you were prosperous, that you were blessed, all of those things. And we still have that theology today, that if you are a good person, then you are going to be blessed and there is no suffering. I think that's the reason the book was written. Then why do we suffer? Well, if that is so, then why do we suffer? Let me give you a couple of reasons as to why we suffer as the people of God. First of all, there are times when our suffering accomplishes the purposes of God. In fact, the Scripture says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, 
Paul is writing, Now I want you to know, brethren, my circumstances, he was in prison, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul said, my suffering, my imprisonment was used of God to increase the courage of other believers. You see, folks, sometimes our suffering is used by God for His purposes. Sometimes it is simply to bring maturity to our life. Malcolm Muggeridge wrote, Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful, with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world Everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. Now, I'm not suggesting at all that you ought to enjoy suffering. If you enjoy suffering, there's something wrong with you. I mean, I don't want to suffer. I know the benefits. I don't want to suffer. I want unbridled prosperity. I just want to be blessed all the time. But the fact is, sometimes that's not what is best for us. Suffering sort of like the, the wind that blows against the trees. And when the wind blows against the trees, the storms blow against the trees. Do you know what that does? That deepens the root system. When the wind blows, the root goes down deeper. And that's what happens to us. When we go through those times of difficulty in life, then God wants to use those in our life to bring maturity to us. And so our roots go down deeper. So it's just through all this, Job suffered. And that is what the reference is. And yet it says there in verse number 22, through all this, Job did not sin. Now, as I've already said, he was not sinless, but it means that he was mature. Now, his character was put to the test. The Bible says there in verse number 1 that he was blameless, he was upright, he feared God, he turned away from evil. All those things it says there. But when he was going through this time of testing, it tested his character. Same thing is said of the disciples. The disciples went through difficult times, and those difficult times tested their faith. It tested their resolve, tested their character. does the same thing with us. When you go through times of sickness, when your loved ones go through times of sickness, that tests our character. Whenever we are having financial difficulties to deal with, that tests our character. Whenever we have family members that have disappointed us, then that tests our... Whenever we have troubles in life, ladies and gentlemen, they always test our character. But what we learn from this story is that the testing is limited. See, that's the same thing the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, 
but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. Same thing that Job said. Job and Paul were in agreement concerning this. You see, folks, we go through difficult times in life. All of us do. We go through difficult times in life. But there is a limit, and God holds the limit as to how much we can be tempted. For instance, if you look at verse number 11, God said, But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse thee to thy face. That was the, te- that was the, 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 uh, the uh, temptation from Satan. He said, God, the only reason he's serving you is because you blessed him. Now you take that away and see what happens. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. You see the limitation there? He said, okay, you can do whatever you want to do with his possessions. Can't touch him. There was a limit that was placed on the temptation. And then look in chapter 2, verse number 6. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So we see that the temptation is expanded somewhat. God said, okay, you can touch him. You can't take his life. But the point that I want to make to you is that there are limits on the temptation, and God determines the limits. So testing is limited. Now, Job struggled. There's no question about it. Job struggled if you read the book. In chapter 3, verse number 11, he said, Why did I not die at birth, come forth from the womb, and, and expire? I understand that, don't you? I mean, you go through those times in life and you say, what in the world is this all about? I would have been better off had I never been born. And that's what Job is saying. So there is a struggle that's going on. I want you to understand that even though he is a child of God, even though he is a man of faith, all those things about Job, he still struggled. And even though he struggled, he remained faithful. Because the Scripture says in Job 6.10, But it is still my consolation, and I rejoice in unsparing pain, that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What a testimony. Even though he struggled with the difficulty he faced in life, he said, I have not denied the Holy One. He struggled, but he was faithful. He did not sin. And then it says in verse 22, he did not blame God. Well, who do we blame? You know, this is a, this is a, a day, it seems, when we got somebody to blame. I, I'm not, in other words, I'm not responsible for what happens to me. I need to blame somebody. So who do we blame? If we go through difficulties, if we go through times of suffering, who do we blame? Whose fault is it? Well, you know, to be honest with you, Sometimes we suffer as a consequence of the choices we make. I don't like that much, do you? Sometimes we suffer because we brought it on ourselves. You see, God has made us with a free will and we make decisions. We, we make choices. Adam and Eve in the garden, God said, now don't touch that tree over there. Don't touch the fruit of that tree over there. But they chose to do so. Sometimes we make wrong choices. The Bible says in Proverbs 129, they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. My friend, when we make bad choices, there are bad consequences. You don't have to be a genius to know that. When we make bad choices, there are bad consequences. 
And sometimes we go through life making one bad choice after another, wondering, well, what, how, why did that happen? Because of the choice you made. Sometimes our suffering we bring on ourselves. Sometimes the fact is we don't know why it happened. You can read through the book of Job and God never answers the why question. He doesn't answer it. There are times when we don't know why. David did not understand the suffering of good people. In Psalm chapter 73, verses 12 through 14, David wrote, Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. These are the wicked, always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. David is struggling there in that 73rd Psalm. He said, I don't know why this is happening. And the fact is, sometimes we don't know why bad things happen. We don't have answers sometimes. The question for us as a Christian is not so much why as how. It is not so much why is this happening to me, it's how do I respond to it. Because bad things do happen. So how do I respond to it? I look at the time of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, facing the cross. And as he faced the cross, he was praying to the Father, Father, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. And then Jesus concluded in his prayer, not my will, but thine be done. This is the way that I'm supposed to respond. And ladies and gentlemen, how are you and I to respond to difficulties? Look at verse 21. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what I would like to think. That's what I would like to do. That when difficult times come, that I'm able to honestly say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me conclude. Good people suffer. If you look in verse number 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Job was a good man by human standards, but he suffered. Jesus was perfect, but he suffered. And you and I suffer as well. But God is in control, and there are limits to our suffering. And the way, listen, the way we respond to difficulty is a testimony of our faith, one way or the other. In the 4th century, the Nicene Council gathered. There were 318 delegates. Less than 12 of them did not have a hand missing, an eye missing, or had been lamed because of their commitment to Christ. They had suffered because of their commitment to Christ. But their scars served as a testimony of His grace. When you are experiencing difficulties in life, you're giving a testimony to those who are watching you. And I pray that God will give you strength, that you give a testimony that He is sufficient in your life, and that His grace is sufficient for you. I mentioned a moment ago that our choices have consequences, and we are going to extend an invitation
My friend, if you have never invited Jesus into your heart, there is a consequence to that. If you are a child of God, would you be obedient to the leadership of the Holy Spirit? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. But just be obedient to the Father. Our gracious Father, we come to you at this time of invitation and ask, Lord, that you bless, that we make good choices now, that we make a choice prompted by the Holy Spirit now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir will sing as they sing. If you'll come to make your commitment to Christ, to join the church, whatever God is leading you to do, I'll greet you as you come. difficulty and testing and trials. And during that time, there are two things we really need. One is a relationship to Jesus Christ, and the other is the people of God. We at First Baptist would love to pray with you if you're going through a difficult time in your life. And we have the number on your screen. Counselors are standing by. Let me encourage you to call right now as someone will pray with you. God bless you as you do. Next week, we'll have one more message from Job, and uh, it is the passage of Scripture where he asks the question, if a man die, will he live again? So uh, you might want to read that, but if a man die, will he live again? That was a question of Job. Our Vacation Bible School starts um, tomorrow, and uh, Eric has asked that I ask you to be praying for the teachers, praying for those kids who come. And these little cards our ushers will have on the way out. Pick one up. It'll be a reminder to you to pray, and then you invite uh, anyone you see to come to Vacation Bible School. We'd love to have all those children here. Uh, if you have prayer needs, tomorrow night, 5.30, Lindsay, the third floor, our deacon prayer team will be there. And uh, if you have some needs you want someone to get around you and pray with you about, then you just go over there at 5.30, 
tomorrow evening, and they will be praying for you. Uh, back a couple of, almost two years ago, it's going to take just a minute, but a couple of years ago, because of the economic conditions, I said to you a couple of things. One, that I was going to keep you informed as to where we are financially in the church. So we've done that every month, at the end of every month, just to inform you where we are, because I want you to know. And uh, secondly, I, I said, I, I want us to really watch where our finances are closely, because I don't want us to get in a hole. I mean, I want us to be... Uh, and you don't want us to either. So we watch things. Our finance committee watches uh, our finances very closely. So I wanted to give you the June report. Now, at the end of June, we are a $155,000 deficit. Now, let me, let me uh, sort of give some perspective to that. In, in previous Junes, our highest deficit was 245000 and our lowest deficit in June was 68,000, which was last year. So somewhere between 68,000, 245,000. So we're sort of in here. But because of the economic conditions, I still uh, want us to watch that really closely. So here are the things that I'd like for you to join with me. During the months of July and August, now staff has already met about this, but in the month of July and August, we're going to try our best to reduce our, our expenses, our budget. So we want to reduce those by 4%, which is tough to do. But, you know, if, if you don't have the money, I said, we can't print money. That's just not something that we can do. So we are going to reduce our budget by 4% during July and August to get through that time. Secondly, I would really like for us to get through July even. You know, we don't have to reduce the budget, I mean the deficit, during the month of July because we have vacations and all those things, and we understand that. So just really be faithful during the month of, um, of July. And then in August, we have five Sundays, so that's an extra Sunday. So what I'd like to do in the month of August is that we all continue to do our very best, and that way we will reduce that deficit during the month of August, and then I think that we'll be just fine. So we're okay, but I just wanted to keep you informed as to, as to where we are. So do your best in July and August. We will reduce expenses here at the staff, and uh, that extra Sunday in August, I think, will be good for us. Today at uh, 4 to 5.30 in the Family Life Center, there will be a reception for Jennifer Barano. She, uh, she has been our, uh, she's been the assistant to uh, Philip and Tripp for eight years now. And, you know, I'd rather lose one of them than Jennifer, but she's, <laughs> she's, she's retiring. She's, uh, she's going to go home and take care of babies, and so we're going to miss Jennifer. She is just absolutely fabulous, and so there is a reception for her at 4 o'clock to 5.30 over in the Family Life Center today. Uh, college students, there's lunch for you over in the Family Life Center uh, as soon as the service is over. If you have any prayer needs, these deacons with red badges on be happy to pray with you, so let's stand together as we are dismissed. Gracious Father, thank you for your goodness. I pray, Lord, that you will watch over us as we leave. Bless us. May we glorify the blessed name of Jesus. In his name we pray. I was thinking, you know, when you Talk with someone real special on the phone or if you've been with them. You don't just say, bye, I'm out of there. You say, I love you. This has been a special time, special day. Great message. Wonderful time when we come together with the Lord. 
Now the pastor has to go to the back back there so he can speak to you. But I just want us to close this service by saying, Jesus, I love you. That's how we end this time of corporate worship with him. distractions. Have a wonderful day.